Today's video is a compilation recap of Lady Saber's epic story about the neckbeard nice guy known as Sir Samwell up to this point. We're keeping in all the original commentary just so we have it all in one place now so it's easy to catch up to the current point. One last thing, if you're a streamer or want to be a streamer one day, use the music down below in the description. It's copyright free, it's great instrumental music, and there's no catch. You can use it on all of your live streams. So save it now so you can use it for later so that way you don't forget. But for now, let's jump straight into the compilation. Today's story is actually a story that was sent in by a few people. Apparently it's a legendary story, but I don't know anything about this and it creates a whole saga of its own. If you want to submit your own stories, you can do so via the links down below, but don't forget to drop a thumbs up, subscribe with notifications turned on and follow on Spotify. This story comes from Neckbeard Stories and is titled The Introduction of Good Sir Samwell or Why My Stomach Now Turns at the Smell of Spaghetti Sauce. Hi, Hi everyone, it's Lady Saber. Player one is me, Lady Saber, 16 years old at the time. I'm Finnish, I grew up in Belgium, here in America on a two-year exchange program at this time. I'm still new to the country, school, going through a culture shock. I'm heavy into fencing, it's been my sport for something like 10 years. For neckbeards, this seems to make me the katana-wielding milady of their dreams. Player two is smooth-cheeked neckbeard, we'll call him Samuel Tarley. Fat as all get out, where cargo shorts, bazinga shirt, sandals, and yes, the fedora. He also smells like sweat and old spaghetti sauce. He has a really high-pitched nasally voice that sounds like a whiny toddler. Player three is John. He shares half of my courses and is really good at chess. He has a southern accent that I could listen to all day. I'm keeping his description limited so that I don't sound obsessive. I met Samwell at chess club. I'm pretty aware that it's a neckbeard spawn point by now, but I go because I like to play. There are some good apples like John, so I was mostly there just to talk to him. However, today he's running late and gets upstaged by Samwell. I'm setting up the board and the seat across from me is empty. So Samwell asked me to play. I politely try to turn him down, telling him that I was waiting for someone. Sam replies with, Well, I don't see him. I grind my teeth a little at that. Samwell plops into the chair. He introduces himself with a tip of the fedora. I wish I was kidding. I'm not aware of the neckbeard stereotype at this point, otherwise I probably would have lost it right there. I play with Samwell though, rather than excuse myself. It quickly becomes clear that he's not familiar with most of the special rules of chess. He accuses me of cheating on more than one occasion. First, when I make an en passant capture, then when I castle queenside. He also tries to castle out of check. It's profoundly annoying. Not because of what he's doing, I'm perfectly willing to teach a new player the rules, but because he's certain that he's right about it. He reminds me a lot of Michael Scott from The Office, just generally throwing a fit and whining like a child when he's wrong, except more annoying and cringy. Samwell is trying to make conversation with me. I'm not really sure what about, because I can't stand to listen to his voice. He's swearing like a sailor, I guess trying to sound edgy, but with his voice, he just sounds like another kid on Xbox Live. I'm not able to tune out his food, however. In the middle of our game, he breaks out this all-you-can-eat before buffet of pasta, raviolis, and god knows what else packaged up in Tupperware. Thanks mom. My food etiquette is probably a little uptight compared to most Americans, but this was just obscene. He's shoveling it in mid-sentence, chewing and smacking with his mouth open and spilling stuff on himself. The food by itself smells like death and his face hole wasn't making things better. Meat sauce residue moves from spoon to face to fingers to chest pieces with alarming speed. We get closer and closer to the 
end of the game, and Samuel takes longer and longer to move, even when he only has one possible move he can make. Enter John. Finally, he sees me playing with Samuel and looks a little hurt that he's been upstaged, but he's content just to watch. I can tell John is put off by the smell too. John and I get a small side conversation going and Samuel is eyeing us back and forth. Samuel asks if John is my boyfriend. Awkward. This is only going two ways. Yes, we are dating and you're the third wheel or no, we aren't dating and awkward. John and I laugh nervously and tell him no. Chivalry ensues. Well, why don't you have a boyfriend? Well, I haven't been here for very long. Okay, when you do, make sure you watch out for all the jerks and D-bags in this school who don't really know how to treat a lady. For the record, I was already well acquainted with the nice guy TM mentality. Call it morbid curiosity, but I decided to press the topic with Samwell. What do you mean? Well, lots of guys, unlike myself, treat women like objects. Most women have never been treated like a woman by a good guy. I'm not exaggerating this quote by an inch. It's forever etched into my memory like a spaghetti stain on white pants. John is standing to the side and slightly behind Samuel, cocking his head just a bit, giving me, is this guy for real eyes? I can see the train coming down the track, so I try to change the subject, but my good gentle sir cannot neglect to impose upon milady his philosophies. Most girls don't realize how beautiful they really are, especially without makeup. So they degrade themselves to get the attention of guys who don't deserve them anyway. Like, I bet if you didn't wear so much makeup, you could get a boyfriend like that. Three tries later, he snaps his fingers. I went from cringe to rage pretty quickly. Ended up making a stupid mistake, and the game ended in stalemate, which he treated like a world champion victory. There's not quite enough time left and lunch to play another game with John, but too much time to leave early. I politely decline a handshake with Samwell and stand to talk to John. Samwell, sensing that he is needed in our conversation, hauls himself from his seat. There is really only a narrow lane between the chess tables and the computers. Two people can stand face to face, but three people of normal girth would have trouble. Talk about an elephant in the room. Samwell sidles up next to me, mouth breathing and sweating, injecting himself into our conversation like a bad batch insulin. I don't quite remember how, but fencing comes up and Samwell's eyes go big. Wow, you fence? Like with swords? That's so cool. Where do you fence at? I get this question a lot more than you might think. Most people don't really know much about the sport in the United States, so this is a pretty harmless way of stimulating conversation about it. I didn't think much of it and eventually gave him the contact info for the gym that I go to. I doubted he'd ever go past googling it. At most, maybe give it to someone else. My coaches here are really fantastic people, so I try to promote them as much as possible. Holy ravioli. I was in for a shock. Fencing practice is coming up next in part two. Part two will be in the next video in this series, so make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications so you don't miss that. But let's break down what just happened here. Since this is the beginning of what is apparently a long chronicling saga that the OP has with Sir Samuel, we can see here in the very, very beginning 
beginning, she's basically just trying to not be mean to him in any way that she can. I mean, even when he asks her weird questions that she doesn't really like, she still kind of plays along in order to make him not feel awkward. And maybe that's because she feels bad for him or she just treats everyone nicely, whatever it is. But she picks up pretty fast how he is, it seems like. Some of the ways that she describes Samuel are kind of mean, but I mean, if this is really what happened, this is really what he did, then that's what he did. The part that seemed like got under his skin the most above anything else is the part where he says, most girls don't realize how beautiful they really are, especially without makeup, so they degrade themselves to get the attention of guys who don't deserve them anyway. Like, I bet if you didn't wear so much makeup, I bet you can get a boyfriend like that. It seemed like she almost knew exactly where that was going before it came. I mean, she even describes it as train coming down the tracks. And maybe this is just something that she's tired of hearing people say in general in life, but somehow she knew that this specific guy would say something like that. And that made her go from cringe to rage extremely fast and understandably so. I mean, if somebody's commenting on your appearance when you don't want them to comment on anything that has to do with you, when you're already going out of your way to be nice to them, which is probably how she sees it, of course, that's going to be infuriating for something like that to happen. But as we begin this saga, let me know what you guys think so far of the characters and what would you do if you were in this situation and who is the biggest jerk here? Because there is, I guess, a little bit of debate about who people think is the jerk in the situation. So like I said, the next part of this saga will be in the next episode in the series. But for the rest of this video, we're going to go through some more neckbeard stories. So here's the next one. My first neckbeard encounter at college. I'm not entirely sure if this guy counts as a full neckbeard, but he definitely has the appearance and some of the behaviors of some of the stories from these subreddits. So I wanted to share my experience since it's been dwelling in me for a while. I needed to get it off my chest. For context, I currently go to a London college and because I get really stressed out over any hints of being late, I always come to school at least 20 to 30 minutes before class begins. During this time, I usually play games on my phone or on my Nintendo Switch. Also relevant, this will come later, I am short. I'm five foot and I identify as non-binary. Because my class is on top, the fourth floor of my college, when I arrive to school, usually the entire floor is empty save for a few staff members such as janitors. But one day, as I was walking to my usual chill space, I walked past another student from another class. I noticed he was looking at me as I went past him, but I paid him no mind. I have autism and social anxiety, so striking up conversations with strangers isn't really my thing. Plus, I just wanted to play The Binding of Isaac before class, and that was the only thing on my mind at the time. As I put down my backpack, took off my coat, took a few bursts of my inhaler, I could hear somebody approach me. I assumed it was a staff member going to their office since there's one close to where I relax, but then I felt a presence really close to me, and then a, hey, I look up and I see that student I walked past. He's big. No offense but taller than me and generally somewhat intimidating to me, comparing my small stature to his. Being a friendly people pleaser, I decided to engage in conversation as much as my adrenaline and anxiety was going off and I was visibly shaking a little. He asked me what my name was and I told him, Allie. He was like, huh, a woman called Allie. That's interesting. Important to note, he referred to girls as women and boys as dudes. Really weird to me. When I told him, oh, well, I 
identify as non-binary and Ali is my preferred name. He seemed pretty shocked about it. I totally understand people may be taken aback by meeting someone transgender for the first time, but something felt kind of off about the way he went about it, being overly cautious about referring to me. But no worries, I've had worse. I'll cut down the rest of our conversation that day since I don't remember some of it, but something to point out was the way he boasted about his high IQ. He proudly told me after college he wanted to do both university and an apprenticeship. And whilst this can be done in some classes, I tell him, that's kind of difficult to pull off. And what was his response? I'll be fine. I have a high IQ. With a big smile. Also, when he asked me how old I was and found out I was a year older than him, I laughed it off like, haha, I know. Filipinos are small. I'm half Filipino. And he just went, aren't Filipinos supposed to be dark skinned? I don't know. That really took me off guard. Anyway, our second time meeting, our final interaction really took the entire cake plus the plate and the whole dining table. This was the most absurd and red flag waving interaction I've ever had so far in my entire life. We hadn't seen each other for a few weeks due to teacher strikes and one week holiday. But when he came to school, he yet again walked the entire length of the floor just to come talk to me and asked, where have you been? Obviously, I get anxious again and I'm just like, teacher strikes? Holiday? Because surely he had those too. And why does he care? We only interacted once. There's no way you missed me. Anyway, he went on to tell me he got a job. That's great. It's hard getting a job at our age. And I was kind of curious what his job was. And he told me his job was a Discord moderator. I was like, you get paid to moderate a Discord server? And he nodded and told me he gets paid more than minimum wage. I was pretty shocked. I mean, no offense to moderators out there, but he was getting paid about eight pounds an hour to moderate one server. I was getting kind of suspicious now. What kind of server is it? I asked. It's for 11 and 12 year olds, he said, smiling. Oh no. Oh God, no. This guy, a 16 year old moderating a server intended for 11 and 12 year olds is bad enough. But not only does it go against Discord's terms and conditions also, isn't that literally just a breeding ground for horrible things to happen? And he was being paid more than a minimum wage to moderate a server for children? This felt really bad. Obviously, I had to ask him, how do you know the server owner isn't a creep? He replied, she's a girl. I said, you know girls can be creeps too, right? And he went, really? I was absolutely astonished that this man believed girls couldn't be creeps or associates or helpers, whatever. I just could not believe the fact that this guy knew or even thought because people can lie on the internet, shocker, that the owner was a girl and that meant to him that, oh, she's not a creep. Girls can't be creeps. High IQ, my butt. I started freaking out, mostly internally because I was trying to keep my cool. But I started asking him things like, how do you know this isn't some sort of breeding ground for horrible things? And how do you know that these kids you're moderating aren't actually adults pretending? And how do you know you're not just being paid to cover up something illegal? And his response was simply, hey, you're making me paranoid. I'm going to lose my job. Anyway, after that, he avoided me like I was the plague. He would hide by the elevators, stare at the walls, turn himself away from me, and he knew he ruined his reputation. Honestly, I'm glad he finally took the hint. The whole time I was visibly uncomfortable during our interactions, and when my friends arrived at school, they could also see that I was uncomfortable. I used to dread coming in on Thursdays. It was the only day we both had classes. He did business and I did animation and games because I feared interacting with him more. But now, I feel free and relieved. No more really weird and off conversations. Obviously, more happened and I do remember these, but for the sake of keeping this relatively short, I cut out the parts I thought weren't very interesting. 
But trust me, there was a lot of really weird conversation, mostly one-sided because he seemed so desperate to talk to me. So was I the jerk? So about the whole Discord server thing, if he was that excited to talk to the OP about it, and then the OP started saying all of these concerns that they had, I'm kind of surprised that the guy, or the neckbeard as the OP puts it, isn't trying to explain what the Discord server is when he's getting paid to do this. I mean, all he says is, stop, you're making me paranoid, but isn't actually addressing the concerns of the OP. I mean, the OP seems seriously concerned about this, and that could all be alleviated by saying, oh no, it's actually this, or it's actually that. I mean, assuming that's true, but he doesn't say anything. He just lets the OP be paranoid, and the OP kind of just has to accept it, I guess. But in this situation, the OP just seems more relieved to not have to deal with this guy anymore than to actually have to go in and investigate further to see what his job is because the OP doesn't want to deal with him anymore. So let me know if you've ever had an interaction like this yourself, and if so, what would you do? And also, who was the jerk in this situation, if anyone? Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with notifications turned on, follow on Spotify if you haven't already, and leave your opinions down below in the comments. Thanks a lot for watching, guys. We'll see you next time. Sir Samuel tries to sword, or why I can no longer have neckbeard-free time. The Tales of Lady Saber. Here are the players in the story. Player 1, me, Lady Saber, still 16 years old, a foreign exchange student, undergoing extensive culture shock therapy, very avid fencer, been doing it for about 10 years. Player 2 and 3 are my fencing coaches. Immigrants from Hungary, really fantastic people, husband and wife couple. Mr. Coach is a big guy with a thunderstorm of a voice. Mrs. Coach is petite, still yells louder than Mr. Coach, is spooky quick and always gives one-on-one instruction with people, even in group lessons. They're minor characters, but they rock. Player 4 is Sir Samuel Smooth Cheeks. How I wish it wasn't. He's a big, sweaty mouth breather that usually smells like death. His typical attire includes grungy graphic tees, sandals, cargo shorts with pockets full of old pasta and meat sauce. Either that or he bathes in it. Not sure, but the smell is pungent. Sam's mother, Mrs. Sam, is a minor character, but she shows up more often down the line, so I'll detail her. Curly hair, feminine build, wears mom jeans, very warm and friendly, but I guess this is stereotypical of suburban moms. This story occurs about one week after my last encounter with Sir Sam. To recap, last time, I gave him the contact information for my fencing classes. I might as well have given Sauron the ring too. I want to give a bit of context first. When I'm practicing, I make zero attempt at my appearance. Makeup of any kind will mix with sweat and turn into acne soup on my face, so I go without makeup. My hair is done up in a bun and my chest is squished into a sports bra. Seriously guys, it's very unmiladylike. Practice starts at 5pm and ends at 7.30pm. I'm there earlier to use the gym or go running before class, usually for 45 minutes. Today I run, making two circuits around the cross country track and make it back to the building with maybe 10 minutes before class. And there he is. Sir Sam lumbers from the back seat of a minivan and my heart lurches. He's actually wearing sneakers in lieu of his typical sandals, but not without cargo shorts, a Call of Duty shirt, and fingerless gloves. I think that neckbeards always wear a minimum of neckbeard gear. Oh, and that fedora? Yeah, he had a different one. It was some kind of awful reddish color. I have a suspicion that it started out as white and he used it as a ravioli receptacle. Not sure. As I make my approach back to the building, he gives me a full arm wave. He says something as I run by, but I keep going through double doors to get to the gym area to walk a lap as a cool down and take a drink of my water. I'm running a solid high of endorphins. I'm finishing my lap when Sir Sam makes a grand entrance. He tries pulling the door, then pushes it open by thrusting his shoulder against it. He stumbles inside, 
panting from Lord knows what. Sir Sam is miffed. What was all that for? What do you mean? You just ran right past me. You didn't even wave back. Why would you invite me here if you wouldn't even want to talk to me? Sorry, Sam. I was just in my groove. He stays mad and fee-fi-fo-fums over to the water fountain. The tall one doesn't work and the short one puts out a stream that you can't get a drink without suckling the spout. He gives up on that and turns to me, asking if I have any water. I still don't know what for. I contemplate letting him touch his face hole to my water bottle and likely backwash into it. I'm feeling intimidated by him, though, so I offer the one I drank from. It's almost empty anyway, and I think a bottle of bleach is enough to clean it. Now you already drank from that one. I know. Gross, right? Before this escalates, Mr. and Mrs. Coach come out of the office area to see who's making a fuss. Mrs. Coach introduces herself to Sir Sam and his mother, who's parked and has come inside. A few other people are trickling in. We have about half a dozen regulars in the advanced class and 10 or so who are beginners. Mrs. Coach takes Sir Sam back to the equipment room to get him a set of gear. Mrs. Sam turns to me. Are you Lady Saber? Um, yes. How do you know my name? Sir Sam has told me all about you. Fantastic. Okay. He says you two got to be really good friends at school. Mm, I bet he did. I'm about to explain that we played one strange chess game before Mr. Coach calls me up for warm-ups. We line up side-by-side for stretching. Guess who's on my right? Both classes are taught in the same room, so I resign myself to having him hover near me for the rest of the evening. Stretches become a horror show. Everyone has varying flexibility. The idea is to untie all of your muscles and ligaments so we can practice. For Sir Sam, it's a competition. He nearly gave himself an aneurysm reaching his knees. Practicing lunges was even worse. I have a very long lunge. My hips drop down nearly to to the floor and my back leg is fully extended. It's weird and it has its drawbacks, but it's just my thing. Sir Sam tried this once and fell over. I'm pretty sure it registered on the Richter scale. Oh, did I mention he's wearing the fedora? He's still wearing the fedora. Eventually, it gets too cringy even for Mr. Coach, who tells him to set it aside. This continues for a whole hour. Sir Sam has pretty much given up trying to talk to me. He's huffing and puffing, red-faced and soaking himself in sweat. I feel a little sorry for him, putting all of this effort in and not getting any action. Footwork practice was also hard to watch. If you want to get a picture of what Sir Sam looked like, just imagine King Arthur from Monty Python doing his gallop. Got it? Okay, now imagine King Arthur is a hippopotamus about three french fries and a Diet Coke away from a heart attack. That's what it looked like. Relish that for a moment. After warm-ups, we're supposed to do drills. These are designed to improve your technique. Before, though, we change into our fencing uniforms with all our protective gear. Usually, we all change in the gym, being that no one is actually getting naked. However, I am in no mood to have Sir Sam see me in any form of undress, so I gather up my wad of clothes and I hit the lockers. When I get back, Sir Sam is still dressing himself. The snug-fitting pants won't accommodate both of his legs and his oversized cargo shorts. I didn't want to watch, but I just couldn't look away. Getting his jacket on was equally difficult. His arms just don't bend that way. Mrs. Coach is standing right there with him, helping the good sir dress like a loyal squire. After all of this, he whines about having to wear the fencing glove instead of his own fingerless wonder grippers. These are better designed for traction. I wish I was joking. The legitimate fencing glove was unacceptable as well, being too tight and making my hand have claustrophobia. Eventually, he sucked it up. We pair off for drilling. Sounds twisted, I'm sorry. These tend to be specific to the weapon you're using. I'm making it worse, aren't I? So, foil fencers work with foil fencers. Epe works with epe. You get the idea. The saber group 
group is an odd number, so three of us decide to rotate so we can each take a turn. Sir Sam is quite distant being in the beginning of the foil group. It's almost like I have my sport back to myself. Yeah, as if. The foil group is also an odd number, so Sam slinks away from them and approaches me. I'm saved by the call to switch for 10 minutes until I rotate out. Sir Sam is waiting for me. Hello, Lady Saber. Has anyone ever told you you look really good in? He pauses here for a second, like he didn't think this compliment through before finishing that jacket. At first, I took it as a genuine compliment until he raises his weapon. My mask isn't down, so this totally freaks me out. I think I might have yelled and makes a jab at my chest. He didn't connect. I brought my blade up, caught his weapon on the outside, and rotated my blade in a circle. He let go, and his foil goes skittering across the floor into the wall. What did you do that for? Sir Sam yell squeaks. He goes very quickly from scared to angry. Mr. Coach comes over asking what happened. Lady Saber just knocked my sword out of my hand for no reason. Mr. Coach turns to me. I'm sorry. He just made an extension of me when my mask was up and I reacted. Mr. Coach gives Sam a glare. I didn't mean to. I was just playing. I have the urge to offer cheese with that wine. Mr. Coach is pretty pissed. He tells Sam to pick up his weapon. He saunters away and avoids me. Finally for the rest of practice. I got to finish the last 45 minutes in peace. I almost forgot he was there until I'm peeling off my sweat-drenched uniform. My face is flushed. My legs are sore. I smell like a wet dog. Everything's going great. Cue Sir Sam. He comes up behind me while I'm wiggling out of my pants. Do you need some help there, miss? I turn around to see the whitest night doth require, and he looks like he's been out in a rainstorm. His shirt is drenched. His thick cargo shorts are soaked with sweat and his hair under his fedora looks like a used mop. He might be a festering corpse for his stench. I hold my breath while I pull off my fencing pants in the least sensual way possible. I leave my high fencing socks on. I was not bending down or taking a knee in front of him to remove them. Spaghetti breath is still panting. I pack my stuff into my bag and stand up to go, praying that my ride will be outside. Sir Sam is in front of me. I'll take that for you. Indicating my wheeled carrying bag. It's okay, I got it, Sam. Please, I insist. He grabs the handle with sausage fingers and I let him take the handle, just wanting to be out of here. We're both waiting for the other to go until he says, After you, my lady. I walk with him trailing behind me and I make a quick glance in the mirror. Sure enough, this Creeposaurus Rex is staring straight at my butt without a care in the world. Also, my top is halfway translucent from sweat. Awesome. My ride isn't outside yet. Even though I'm 16 years old, I can't get a license and drive in America for liability reasons, so I have to wait for my host family to come pick me up. Sir Sam's mother is there, though, but he doesn't leave. I tell him thanks for carrying my stuff and he offers to wait with me to make sure you get home safe. It's pitch dark out, but Mr. and Mrs. Coach aren't leaving until last. Mrs. Sam pulls up next to us and rolls down the window. Time to go, Sir Sam. Hi, Lady Saber. I'll be there in a minute, Mom. I just want to make sure Lady Saber gets home safe. Mrs. Sam gives a chuckle and pulls into a parking lot place farther down the lot. No, please come back. I want to be safe, remember? Out of the blue, Sir Sam says, my mom is such a beast. 
Whoa, what, what, why? Why would you say that? Because she's always doing stupid stuff like that, getting up in my business. Tearing down your mom, a plus way to converse with a milady. He leans back with ninja stealth. He slides his hand along the concrete behind the small of my back. I turn my head and glance, letting him know that I see. Those high socks are killing me right now. Great. Now I'm satisfying Mr. Gentle Sir's kinks. My ride is about 15 minutes late, but it felt like many hours. Finally, I see the headlights. I get up to grab my bag on the other side of Sam and realize quickly that he has no intention of handing it to me. Instead, expecting me to bend over and pick it up. I'll either have to bend at the waist or squat to lift with my knees. He's just looking at me with an innocent smile. Can you... Give me the handle to my bag. Carry it all the way out here for you, Lady Saber. Don't be so lazy. I am absolutely not going to put on a lap dance for this great big jerk here. His smirk is getting wider as my ride pulls through the roundabout. Finally, though, finally, I have a way to come back. I hook my foot under the handle and give it a kick upwards to my hand. I flash a smile and strut my stuff into the car. What? Oh, you thought I was done? Cute. Wait till fencing part two. It gets worse. So for a brief moment, you could almost misconstrue this as him trying to be nice to her because he wants to stay until she gets picked up. I mean, that's normal to a degree to be there since it's dark and maybe he thinks nobody else is going to be there. He might not know that Mrs. and Mr. Coach are going to be there until last. So maybe he wants to stay there. But as soon as that happens and then he won't hand her the bag because he knows he wants to get a little peek at her. That is just so creepy. I think in that moment, if it hadn't happened any other moments, she probably should have told Mr. and Mrs. Coach, hey, this guy is making me really uncomfortable. This is what he's done so far. And this is how I feel about it. Because it sounds like they're both looking out for her, but maybe she's in that weird gray area where she knows he's being creepy, but she can't really explain why. I mean, it kind of sounds like he's writing the line exactly there because you can interpret it both ways if you really wanted to. But I mean, that last part is pretty much what tips the scale into the obviously weird territory. Some of the other stuff could definitely be interpreted as creepy, but on the flip side, he could just be really socially awkward for a lot of the stuff and not know how uncomfortable he's making her feel, which is probably why she should tell him or tell somebody. But maybe that'll happen in the next part. Let me know what you would do if you were in this situation, or if you've ever been in something like this, what happened? Let me know down below or feel free to submit your own story via the links down below in the description. Don't forget to drop a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and follow on Spotify. Chivalrous Sam phones a friend part one, or why winning anything has never sucked so much. Player one is me, Lady Saber, 16 at the time, born exchange student here on a two-year program, undergoing culture shock and suffering chronic cringe pain from daily interactions with Sam. Player two is Samwell Spaghetti Breath, king of the ravioli, the fettuccine, lord of the sandal socks, and protector of the ladies. Complete lard wears car Cargo shorts, Minecraft hoodie, New Balance sneakers, and Argyle fedora. He reeks like the garbage disposal of an Italian restaurant. Supporting character three is John, previously identified as Cute Boy. Slightly taller than Sam, he and I share a lot of common interests, or are at the very least interested in each other's interests. We're not dating yet, but it's heading in that direction. He and his family are from Louisiana, so he speaks passable French with a funny accent that I make fun of often. Ask Fred is an online registration system used to sign 
sign up for fencing tournaments, it's a great tool to see who is going to be at a tournament and how many fencers will attend. This story takes place the Sunday after Sam's first fencing lesson at a local tournament. If you haven't seen that video, the link is down below in the description. It's a rather large event with a great mix of fencers. My coaches regularly send emails to update our group with upcoming tournaments and Sam is on this list now. After a few days of school and minor cringy run-ins with Sam, I'm looking forward to a Sunday of competing for the first time in a long time and the first time in America. The Saber event is in the afternoon, foil is in the morning, and Epe is in between. I register on Ask Fred a few days prior. John has expressed an interest in my fencing, so he's tagging along to watch this tournament. It's about an hour drive, so we sit in the back seat and talk about our classes. Both he and my host mother don't know much about fencing tournaments, so I'm waxing eloquent on that subject. Regarding my appearance, I'm almost a polar opposite of how I present myself in practice. I do my hair in loose piggy tails, apply eyeliner and blush, and generally get dolled up. The makeup I use deals really well with sweat, but it's also expensive, so I only wear it to tournaments. The purpose here is to look innocent and harmless. It throws off the competition, and I look great in my metal photos. We arrive right on time, as Epe is finishing up and awarding medals. And I looked up this word to give you guys a definition, which is, it's a sharp, pointed dueling sword designed for thrusting and used with the end blunted in fencing. The last competitors are stumbling out, sweaty and gross, grinning like idiots on their victory rush. This tournament is being held in a dusty downstairs dojo, pretty upscale as far as tournaments go. It smells like fermenting sweat and vaguely like marinara sauce. I sign in at the registration desk before descending, and there he is. Chivalrous Sam is perched atop the bleachers, staring into my soul from across the room. His fedora is covering a mass of dried sweat and grease that might have once been hair. Sam hails me with both a full arm wave and a tip of the fedora, like he can't quite decide which will win Milady's heart. He gets to his feet and jog gallops down the bleacher steps, meeting me halfway. John, who had been walking behind me, draws up on my left. Hi, Lady Sabre. You look quite ravishing today. I'm about to say thanks and move on when John cuts in, yes she does, in a warm tone of voice and lays a hand on my elbow. It turns into a Mexican standoff while these two rooster people suck in their breath and puff out their chest. I shoulder my way past Sam with John beside me, set my stuff down against the wall and warm up with stretches. John sits on the bleachers next to me and we talk about Sam. I'm not sure if Sam was here to fence and just stayed another three hours to watch me fence or if he saw I was signed up and dropped in. Both prospects are equally discomforting. Sam is still standing in the middle of the room trying to contain his anger that his chivalry was slighted by some D-bag. His nightly intuition must have indicated that I needed saving from the unchivalrousness of John because he joins our conversations. You come here to fence today? No, I come for the aromatherapy. Oh hey Sam, yeah I'm gonna do saber in a little bit. Cool beans, you look good today, are you wearing makeup? Here we go, um, yeah. Indeed, that's a pity, you shouldn't need to, I think natural beauty is the best way to go. 
I smile awkwardly and nod, trying to work my way out of my own head so I can perform today. Sam opens his mouth to say something when John cuts him short and says, Sam, Lady Saber is trying to warm up. John, Lady Saber and I are trying to conversate. Can you please not butt into our conversations, please? John shakes his head and looks away. I finish my stretching routine, still a long way from my groove, and dress into my uniform while Sam sizes me up. He's making my skin crawl. In most fencing tournaments, there are two rounds of competition. The first, called pools, split everyone off into groups of four to six. You fence everyone in your pool and get a feeling of how everyone is fencing that day. All the bouts are to five points. The pools are distributed so that players with a lettered rank are evenly split among lower ranked and unranked fencers. After pools, everyone is seated back into a bracket for direct elimination. These bouts are to 15 points. The loser is knocked out and the winner advances. The ranking system goes from A, which is professional, Olympic, generally expert level, down to E, which is novice. Under E, there is a U rank, which is unranked. U fencers are highly unpredictable, as it only means they haven't competed very much or haven't competed recently. Someone can practice for 10 years without competing, and they'll still be a U. In this case, because I had not competed in America before, my rating was a U. My first pull played right into my my hands. My opponent was ranked E and it clearly had got to his head. He swaggers onto the strip, sizing me up. I play silly, tossing my hair and looking overly excited and nervous. Well, we come to on guard. I score my first touch quickly. I act surprised and ask the ref, did I get it? My opponent is a little miffed, but he tries again. I lend a touch on the side of his mask. Hits like this make your ears ring and he makes a frustrated noise. Next, I hit him hard on the cuff. He realizes now I'm a little more than I appear to be, but he can't compensate and the bout ends 5-0. I flounce and eagerly shake his hand. Sir Sam is up on the bleachers, cheering for me louder than he realizes. It's more obnoxious than enthusiastic and really cringeworthy because he's basically the only person cheering. He yells encouragements the whole time like, Get him, Lady Saber! And, Yeah, that's my girl! The pattern is the same for the next four bouts. It's almost as helpful as a back pocket on a shirt. Finally, pools are finished. There's some downtime between pools and direct eliminations while the referee turns in score sheets and everyone is seated. Sir Sam takes his chance to woo lady. He approaches me, looking overly excited, with his fedora in one hand waving it like a slimy wriggling fish. You fenced really well, Lady Saber. Thanks, Sam. You know, I noticed that John wasn't cheering you on at all. You probably didn't see, but I was the whole time. That's because I told him how annoying it is to cheer like that when you're competing, I thought. But what I said was, yeah, I heard Sam. It's usually better if you don't make so much noise because it can be really distracting on the strip. Sam looks dejected for a moment before getting visibly mad. You know, I was just trying to help. You don't need to be so rude about it just because I'm distracting you. I didn't have to stay at this tournament all day just for you, Lady Saber. I'm just being nice. I wish I had a pocket full of cookies to give you, Sam, I thought, for being 
being such a nice guy, TM. After enduring this tirade of supreme kindness, it's time for direct eliminations. I seated well, so my first few matches are easy. Sir Sam, of course, takes a seat behind me and moves seats between bouts, often crossing the room to be consistently sitting behind me and cheers with all the gusto of a squealing piglet. I never quite find a rhythm and lose the final bout, taking a silver medal and earning a rank of E. Sir Sam is totally thrilled. I don't think he's ever felt more responsible for someone else's victory in his entire life than this moment. He shambles towards me going for a hug, which I turn into a handshake, quickly reconsider, and turn into a fist bump. He shakes the fist vigorously. Keep in mind that I'm standing for a medal photo with three other medalists while all of their friends family and coaches are taking pictures, the result is a photobomb of epic proportions, which I would post here in a heartbeat if it didn't involve revealing both of our faces. Sam realizes that he's made a no-no when he turns to see a phalanx of camera phones awaiting his swift exodus. He tries to play it off, removing his fedora and a sweeping bow like, hey, I'm a medalist too. Haha, <laughs> look, I'm with the medal winners in their pictures. So funny. He has a cartoonish, nervous smile pacing it on which is quickly wiped away as the crowd starts to jeer him out of the shot. He tries to walk away with his pride. He keeps his distance while I remove my uniform and pack up to leave. As I head for the door though, I'm intercepted by Sam, much in the way that an actual Sam might intercept a jumbo jet full of orphans. Hey Lady Saber, can I ask a favor of you? Can I refuse, I thought. What is it, Sam? Well, I need a ride home. What do you mean? Isn't your mom going to come pick you up? And then I thought, or are you tired of having to get her up in your business? Well, she dropped me off, but I didn't know what time to have her pick me up. So I was just hoping you could give me a ride. I thought, ah, very clever, Sam. Very clever ploy indeed. Only a master strategist like you could conjure up such a flawless plan to spend time with Milady. Sorry, Sam, but my car only has room for John and I to sit. Well, how am I supposed to get home then? I don't know, Sam, but I really can't help you. Okay, fine. I guess I'm just not deserving of a simple ride home. Um, what? I thought. Sam, I just told you there's not enough room in- Whatever, Lady Saber. Can I just use your phone to call my mom? I give him my phone and he makes an exasperated call home. In listening to the one-sided dialogue, it sounds like he told his mom in advance that I would be taking him home. He hangs up and gives me my phone back with the addition of sweat crust and stalks off without another word. John, my host mother and I pile into the car and make our drive home. I had not seen slash heard the last of him that day, but that is coming up in the next episode. In the Chronicles of Sir Sam, somehow I always keep coming back to trying to give him the benefit of the doubt by saying, oh, maybe he's just a nice guy. He's just trying to have a friend here. And then some things always happen where I say, oh, never mind. That is really weird and creepy. The OP Lady Saber seems to be constantly in that understanding of what Sam is all about, and at least from her perspective, because she's obviously living through this. But for some reason keeps entertaining him throughout this entire time. I mean, it's easier said than done to totally cut somebody off because you can't force somebody not to come to your hobbies or whatever your interests are. Unless you went to her coaches and told them, hey, this guy that's coming is making me feel really uncomfortable and this is why. If she didn't actually do that, then it's probably hard to keep him from being around. So maybe she just figures that if she's nice to him, he won't be even more weird to her. But from his perspective, he thinks that he's doing everything that somebody could 
could possibly want. The fact that he's standing up in the bleachers cheering so loud probably is Sir Samuel's love language. <laughs> If he has one, he's probably thinking that he's doing something that he would want to have happen to him. He would probably love if somebody was in the bleachers cheering him on to that degree. So when he does it to her and she does not really like or care for it at all, even beyond the whole part of being distracting for the actual competition, he probably just doesn't get that at all. One of the many things that's not cool that Sir Samuel does here is put her on the spot to try and force her to give him a ride when he didn't even talk with her or ask her that earlier. So it's not like he asked way in advance and then he told his mom, hey, can I get a ride from you before I tell my mom? He just told his mom he's going to get a ride from her and then tried to kind of guilt her into giving him a ride regardless by saying, you won't even give me just a ride. But luckily in this case, she just straight up said, no, I can't give you a ride. This is the situation. I'm with my host mom and I'm with John and that's all there is to it. I think this is the first time in the Sir Samuel saga where we actually see John kind of going toe-to-toe with Sam in the most mild way possible because before this they didn't really have any confrontational type interactions but here she describes them as two chickens doing a standoff. I'm not a fan of hyper-focusing on specific parts of his appearance or anyone's appearance but in this case she's trying to I guess illustrate why she's feeling what she's feeling based on the entire situation here. It seems like little by little though she is getting more and more of a grounding against her Samuel even though it's still continuing on kind of in this way where he's led to believe that their friendship is okay and this entire relationship is okay because even when he tells John hey we're talking here he's kind of pushing back trying to claim his time with Lady Saber but with all of this let me know what you think is going to happen in the next episode and if you do want to see the next episode of this make sure to subscribe to the channel with notifications turned on and let me know down below in the comments what would you do if you were in this situation and who was the jerk one last thing if you have not followed on Spotify make sure to follow on Spotify so you can hear all the episodes while you're cruising. Thanks a lot for watching guys and we'll see you in the next one. In today's episode from Neckbeard Stories, the tale of Sir Sam continues. You can listen to this independently or if you want to go back and hear some of the older episodes, check out the links in the description. Drop a thumbs up to see more episodes in this series, subscribe with notifications turned on, and follow on Spotify. Why I got two hours of sleep a night during exam week. Player one is me, Lady Saber, 16, foreign exchange student, going through some stress about midterm exams before Christmas break. I'm also a very light sleeper. Player two is Sir Sam the Chivalrous, all around... Beatus beard smells like putrid putanesca, probably bathes in meat sauce. While I have no in-person contact with Sir Sam in this story, I imagine that he wears all of his fedoras at once while using his phone to boost his chivalry level. This story spans most of exam week, beginning the night of Sam's first fencing tournament and ending the following Thursday. It's Saturday night, I've gone home from my tournament, showered, had dinner, and gotten in bed. I feel good finally being able to relish my victory in peace. I fall asleep quickly around 11 o'clock or so. As I mentioned before, I'm a light sleeper. I'll often wake at bumps and noises in the night, or even loud noises in my dreams, stare around for 15 seconds and go right back to sleep. Tonight, I wake to the buzzing of my phone. New text from some unknown number. It's probably spam, so I go back to sleep. Later, there's more buzzing. The same number. I unlock my phone, squint at it, and fumble to the new text. Hey, what's up? Can't sleep. How are you? It's 12.30 a.m. What the heck? I take the bait and respond... Who is this? Well, hello to you too, Lady Saber. Can't believe you don't know who this is, though. Seriously, it's like 1 a.m. Tell me who this is or I'm blocking your number. 
Okay, okay, it's Sam. That's all the answer I needed. I switched my phone off and tried to fall back asleep again before getting back up and responding with, how did you get this number? Oh, well, when I called my mom this afternoon, I accidentally called myself first. So I had your number in my phone and I decided to text you. Dude, Sam, I have a midterm in world history tomorrow. I need to sleep. That's cool. I'm studying anatomy, winky face. Why do I even try? I turn my phone off and go back to sleep. Yet, like I'm in some well-timed nightmare my phone goes off again shortly thereafter i try to ignore it but it keeps going he's calling me i silence the call i go back to a fitful sleep until i get another call i pick it up probably sounding like a sloshed smeagol hello hey lady saber sam hey ha yeah uh, sorry i couldn't sleep i thought hey what a coincidence me neither we must be soulmates or something but what i said was sam i have a test tomorrow what do you want nothing I just thought you might want to have someone to talk to. Did you get home safe this afternoon? I thought, I know someone who won't be very safe going home, but I said, yeah, Sam, I'm fine. I need to sleep. I end the call and look at the clock. It's 4.30 in the morning. I have to be up in an hour to be on time. I don't dare switch my phone into do not disturb mode or else I might miss my wake up alarm. The texts come trickling in. I feel like crying or screaming or just laughing hysterically. I can't go back to sleep, so I stare at the ceiling for an hour while my phone buzzes like it's on a high of its own. I eventually drag myself out of bed and try in vain to cover the bags under my eyes. I do mediocre on my tests, coming very close to dropping a letter grade in the class. The next night, the same thing. I have a dozen new texts coming in every few hours. Some are short messages. Some are the beginnings of an academic paper. I get a lot of picture messages, random funny memes, and rage comics. It was 2012, guys. As well as pictures of the final score in his Call of Duty multiplayer matches. They seem to pick up a night too. Like he draws energy from gallons of monster energy drink and streaming gigabytes of frisky online material. I am not sleeping a wink. My eating is off. I have manic bursts of energy followed by hours of uselessness. On Tuesday night, I turn my phone all the way off. I sleep through what would have been my alarm. My host family tries to get me out of bed. They don't know about this whole event. So I break down and I spill the Cheetos. I end up sleeping a full 12 hours that day and then another four hour nap in the middle of the afternoon. My host mother buys me an alarm clock so I can leave my phone off the next night. Because I missed an exam, I have to go in on Friday to do a makeup, pushing the family's vacation back by one day. I am pissed. This continues for three days. I think this is because he's never actually had a real life milady to text, so he's going to take this opportunity and run like a Tumblr user with a lot to say. Suddenly those years of beard, straight white boy, and beat us all come pouring out in a slurry, carbonated, cheesy meat sauce. It's a horrifyingly beautiful slow motion train wreck, which is why it takes me so long to tear myself away. I finally block Sam's number on Wednesday afternoon. He figures this out, however, and starts texting me from a different number. At first, he's apologetic, probably realizing that he overdid things a wee bit and is trying to backpedal. Knighthood prevails soon enough. He starts to ask me about John. You guys spend a lot of time together. Yeah, we're pretty good friends. Oh, just friends? Yes, Sam. So I see I'm not the only one to fall victim to the friend zone then. <laughs> I have no idea how to respond. So 
I just wait. It never takes long, and then I get this. Indeed. Well, I really just think John only pays attention to you because of how much makeup you wear and the way you dress. Really, if you want to find someone that can respect you and treat you like a lady, you should present yourself in that way, and the right guy will find you. I thought, dress for the relationship I want? Okay. Have any Urukai propositioned you, Sam? He went on to say, plus, John doesn't really dress like he has any class either. John wears bootylicious jeans and muscle tees like a normal hot person, I thought. Sam speaks from experience, naturally, having about as much class as a Marxist utopia. I'm pretty done hearing about how gross I am for trying to make myself look good, so I silence my phone and finally get a full night's rest in. Sir Sam walks back his last tirade in a series of pitiful messages that I can't even bring myself to quote from the cringe pain. This Friday, I show up and make my last exam. I should have known that I couldn't make it out this week without an encounter with this beast, but hold on to your nachos because that is for the next story of Sir Samuel the Chivalrous. So at this point, Sir Sam is just straight up stalker status. He's constantly barraging her with nonstop attempts to to get her to be what he wants her to be. I understand why she wouldn't want to turn off her phone because she needs the alarm, but I do wonder why she didn't block him the first night right away because maybe it would have taken him a while to figure out that he had blocked her and then started texting from another number because obviously when she did block him, he found out that she was doing that and then started texting her from his either online number or another cell phone or something, so it didn't really end up going through. I think there is a way that you can make it so that you only get notifications, noises, buzzes from people that are your actual contacts in your phone or your favorites or something. And so if you're not on that list, then it just is completely silent. But maybe back then when this story took place, that didn't exist at that point. Or maybe it did and she didn't know about it. Like a lot of people probably wouldn't have. So let me know what you would do in this situation. And what do you think of Sir Samuel and Lady Saber so far? Sir Sam the Chivalrous tries to Christmas or why I'm no longer surprised by anything. This story begins Friday morning, the last day of exam week before Christmas break. It's exam makeup day, so a lot of people aren't there, but after the two-hour morning exam session, the rest of the day is just spent on Christmas parties and Secret Santa. John is my Secret Santa in English class by the luck of the draw. It's mostly a bunch of inside joke stuff. I think a do-rag and a bottle of Elmo shampoo was included, including a little thing of eyeshadow and blush just for Sam. Interestingly, though, the colors actually match for me. Don't know how long he must have spent trying to pick them out, but it's really sweet. Around lunchtime, I get a new text from Sam that says, Got a present for you. Let me know when I can give it to you, winky face. Oh boy, I can't wait. What is it, Sam? I can't tell you. It'll be spoiling the surprise. I'm pretty sure the surprise will spoil the surprise too. I can't give it to you in school though. Maybe after. So, you're gonna give me something that you aren't allowed to carry around school grounds. Great. If you aren't allowed to have it at school, Sam, I don't think it's something I want. Now, trust me, you'll like it. Let me guess. It's also 10 inches. We go around and around like this for a little while before I give up and ignore his subsequent teaser messages like, Bet you can't wait to have it in your hands. And my personal favorite, It's long and stiff, winky face. (laughs) Ha ha, JK, JK, JK. Just as subtle as a sledgehammer. My mind is spinning for the rest of the day. 
running through the list of possible gifts. Is it a frisky toy? A five gallon drum of meat sauce? A blade of valerian steel? All equally possible. Fast forward to the end of the day, I'm filing to the bus loop with the rest of the school when I'm intercepted by Sam like an offensive pass from Tony Romo. Hey, Lady Saber. Merry Christmas. You look enchanting today. Thanks, Sam. You too. Don't, I thought. I meant Merry Christmas to you too. That's what I get for not thinking. He's carrying around a long tube in one hand, wrapped haphazardly in Christmas paper like Santa's homeless cousin. A blue bow was dangling from the side and makes a fedorable picture. In the other hand, a foot-long hot dog is at the mercy of the black hole which functions as his mouth. Mustard, ketchup, chili dribble, while the meat stick vanishes at an alarming pace. I got you a present, Lady Saber. Hot dog goes in, chunks come out. You can't explain that. I see. Are you going to tell me what it is? I can't do that. It's a present. He's squeaking with delight. I assume he makes the same noise as when mom brings home the can of SpaghettiOs. Sam, if I'm not supposed to have it at school, I really don't want to open it here. We're at the bus loop now. I'm anxious to find mine and bug out. Sam presses on uninhibited, thrusting the package into my arms like a squealing baby. Ironic given the circumstances. For my lady. It's some kind of hollow tube. Something definitely long and stiff bumps around inside it when I give it a rattle. Sam looks like he's about to jump out of his skin. This is embarrassing. People are looking. Sam's in his own little world with my lady. I'm not tearing off all the paper, so I just poke a hole in the end. I can't see what's inside. It's dark and I'm scared. I imagine the scene from Indiana Jones where all the faces melt off and I feel like I might be facing a similar fate. I grip my teeth and finally reach in. My fingers touch metal and then something like soft leather. The shape is very familiar. I grasp and pull. No way. I draw out the bell guard in the first six inches of a saber. On the pommel is the brand for Leon Paul, which is Cadillac level fencing gear, especially custom made weapons. This one feels exceptionally lightweight. I am totally floored. The amount of research to figure out exactly what was good in a weapon you don't fence with must have taken an enormous amount of time. And one of their weapons can easily cost over a hundred British pounds. I can actually give him a genuine smile. Thank you, Sam. This is fabulous. It's clear that he wants to stay and talk, but I have to find my bus. I double dodge his attempt at a hug and narrowly escape with a fist bump. If only it was that easy. My bus has changed today and I missed the announcement at the end of class. I walk up and down the loop looking for the bus number and failing to find it. They start pulling away one by one and I realize too late that there's been a change. I tried to give my host brother a call, but he doesn't pick up. Eventually, I'm stranded at the loop with a few stragglers. Sam has wandered off like a lion that missed his first rush at his prey. I know that John carpools with his dad, so I message him asking him if I can get a ride home. I head up to the parking lot where his parents are pulling through and meet up with him. What's in the tube? It's Sam's present. He pulled out all the stops on a new saber. I draw out a little bit to show off to him. Damn, really? That must have been expensive. We have a lot of time to sit around before John's dad shows up, so we perch ourselves on the brick wall next to the sidewalk. I'm pretty sure I wear my do-rag for a portion of this time too. Yeah, I'm cool. Soon enough, Sam approaches me like a tornado to a trailer park, hailing me with that full arm wave. John and I are sitting, so Sam takes a moment to revel in his ability to tower over us. He's still eating. This time, it's a Tupperware container full of ravioli. Does it end? Hey, Lady Saber, why are you here? I thought you rode the bus. I missed my bus. It changed. Oh, that sucks. I know. I can give you a ride home. My mom will be here any second. That's okay. John is giving me a ride. Sam gives John a sidelong glance that lasts a little too long. I can tell John has his jimmies rustled, so I diffuse the situation by asking John to find out where his dad is, which keeps him busy long enough to cool down. My mom will be here soon, Lady Saber. We've got space in our car. It's no big deal. That's okay, Sam. I'm 
I'm riding with John, Lady Saber. I don't have to offer you a ride. Hey, I bet John is just doing it to get some alone time with you. Yeah, because having your parents in the front seat makes a perfect makeout environment, I thought. He says it like it's a joke, but he's the only one forcing laughter. John has had enough. He rises to his full height, looking down his nose at Sam. She told you no twice. Back off, Sam. They both inflate like pufferfish, and I might have laughed if I wasn't so afraid of them tearing into each other. Thankfully, this only lasted for a tense 30 seconds before Sam's ride pulls up. He makes no move to leave until his mom rolls down the window and starts hollering, Sam! Sam! He turns his agitation to his mom and says, What? What do you mean, what? Get in the car, Sam. I'm busy, mom. What on earth with Sam? We've got to go. Lady Saber won't come with. She needs a ride home. Well, apparently it's not going to be with you. Sam deflates like he has gastric bypass. A bunch of other people in the carpool line are staring. He shoulders his book bag and carries his still open pasta bowl to the back seat of his car. Mrs. Sam gives me a look before pulling away. Naturally, Sam manages to screw this up further. As soon as I'm in the car with John, he starts texting me. Hey, I'm glad you liked your present. Told you you would. What did John get you? All aboard the cringe train, I thought. Well, he was my secret Santa in English. He just got me some funny stuff that we like to joke about. Okay, but not like a real gift or anything. I decide to have a little fun. John is sitting next to me, so he's reading too and eggs me on. He got me some makeup. And like a drunken streaker at a football game, Sam is off. Seriously? He got you makeup? That's like the worst thing you could ever get a girl. Like he's just telling you you're not actually pretty enough for me, so put this on. Why do you even put up with someone who clearly has no respect for you at all? It's really sad that girls get taken in by guys who don't deserve them at all. Choo choo. This continues for what might have constituted a five paragraph essay on why I'm the flusiest flues that ever flused, gaining speed and losing altitude with each subsequent message. John and I are dying laughing. Finally, Sam finishes and there's a pause like he's not quite sure what to do. I don't reply until he follows up with, anyway, what's up? Smiley. That made me lose it. Sam, I'm going to involve myself with other people. You may not like some of them, but who I associate with is not any of your business. If you can't deal with that, then you don't need to talk to me anymore. He doesn't reply for a while. I'm at home when he responds back with, fine, but if you're going to be that way, I want the saber back. Keeping it classy like a true gent let men. My lady is unmoved. Sir Sam keeps his distance over a Christmas break instead of opting to post ambiguously about me on Facebook. The first post is something along the lines of breakups are hard. I wish I was kidding. In the next story, you'll see all about this whole Facebook collection from Sir Samuel the Chivalrous. He took the saber back. That seemed like the nicest gesture that Sam had ever made, not because of the price of it, but because of, like the OP put, Lady Saber said, how much research would have gone into figuring out what was the most appropriate thing to give here. And then he just took it back after she didn't comply with the way that he wanted her to act. The last thing I'll say on this one is that you could tell there is truly a delusional element to this if he's writing about how breakups are hard when he's never even been in a relationship with Lady Saber, but yet he's writing to the world like that's something he's dealing with and it must feel very real otherwise why would he waste his time writing about that so he's going through an experience that Lady Saber is not even involved in but in his mind she is so let me know what you would do in this situation and jerk or not a jerk and why 
Chivalrous Sam tries to Facebook or how I learned what it's like to share the internet with a cyber bulimic. Player one is me, Lady Saber, 16-year-old foreign exchange student from Belgium. Exam week is finally over, so I'm enjoying the holiday out of town with my host family. Also, I'm a huge Song of Ice and Fire slash Lord of the Rings nerd. Player two is Sir Sam the Chivalrous Smooth Cheeks, the whitest knight of all. Generally a lard, ever-present aroma of stale Italian food. Never removes his trilby because he never sleeps and never showers. Sam also has the Facebook habits of someone with an eating disorder. I have no other notions of how to describe it. He'll make four, five, six posts in rapid succession about anything, ranging from atheism, look what a nice guy I am, and general rants designed to flaunt his intelligence. This is the binge. About an hour later, he'll come back and purge all of them, or four out of five, no matter how much time he spent on thesaurus.com writing them. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and it's why I'm not able to screen cap most of the stuff he actually posts. Player three is John, the guy that I'm crushing on, and an all-around good person. We aren't officially dating yet, but it's heading that way. Arch nemesis to Sam. He's not in this story, but he gets mentioned, so that's a bit of his backstory. This story begins immediately after the previous one, the day before Christmas break. I check Facebook, mostly keeping up with friends and family overseas, and I see one of Sam's tirades clogging my feed like cholesterol plaque. So there's a screenshot from Facebook where Sam says, Honestly, breakups are the most arduous thing someone can experience. A random person responded, Lol, which fake girlfriend did you break up with now? And Sam wrote back and said, F you, I never had a fake GF. That comment should give you an idea of Sam's dating history. Apparently in middle school, Sam made up a series of girlfriends in more and more outlandish tales. He'd find some girl on the internet, snag a few of her pictures, and flaunt them around. As soon as people would start poking holes in the story, he'd break up with her and start all over again. Except each time, the girl would get hotter and more amazing, and he'd round more bases with each of them. Eventually, he claimed that he did the deed with some out-of-his-league blonde. Unbeknownst to Sam, that girl happened to live nearby and was in high school just down the road from the middle school. Some people who knew her got in touch and confronted him with her in tow, and it actually made a spectacle worthy of public freakouts. Continuing with our tour, if you look to your left, my ladies and gentle sirs, we can see a homemade meme by Sam and a beardy friend. So in this screenshot from Facebook, Sam posts a meme with a girl kind of shrugging her shoulders and her hand up that has the text, why can't I find a nice guy exactly like you, except not you? And Sam's caption says, if you're looking for a fantastic guy to date, check your friend zone first. Ha ha. A random person responded to this and said, I understand this feel, bro. Sometimes I think girls just want to be mistreated by some asshat. Sam responded to this saying, Exactly. I won't sacrifice who I am and treat women differently just because that's what they're accustomed to. If she doesn't care that you're nice, she's a B anyway. You should just move on. Check your friend zone reads to me in the same voice as check your privilege. I checked it. It's there. Also, I found the asshat in question, which links to a picture of a fedora. Sir Sam also makes a pass at Milady who appreciated his thought-provoking quote. In this post, Sir Sam says, The best love is the kind that awakens the soul, that makes us reach for more and plants fire in our hearts and brings 
peace to our minds. A milady responds to this and says, I love this quote. Sam writes back and says, I'm glad, milady, finally someone of the opposite gender who can appreciate a meaningful conjecture. All of these posts are from the same day. Those three are the only surviving companions of about 18 or so. You thought I was kidding? The next day, radio silence. Then, in the afternoon, a text message. It's a screenshot of What Makes You Beautiful by One Direction, saying, Not being weird, it's just a song that I like, smiley face. I look it up, I give it a listen, it's poppy and repetitive, so I turn it off after about 30 seconds. A few hours later, he follows up with, What did you think? Not my taste, I replied. My taste is mostly screamo and classical orchestra with a few select American alt-rock bands. Well, what is your taste? I forget sometimes that there is no font for sarcasm. Gospel. No response other than a string of Facebook posts, of which only two survive. If you go to church, you're literally Satan. The Facebook post from Sam says, If you participate in the organized destruction of independent thought called church, then we don't need to be acquainted. If you don't, your neckbeard smoosh. So this Facebook post from Sam is sharing the atheist experiences photo with a caption that says, Take note, ladies. Reason is sexy. And it has a picture of four women with their arms crossed. The original caption on this says, Godless bees assemble. Everyone's a winner. I debate telling him that it was just a joke, but I dread the outcome of that conversation, and I don't have any idea of how it would go. For the rest of the break, silence. I have a blast with my host family, get more Christmas loot than I know what to do with, and generally enjoy my break from school and Sir Sam. It's after New Year's Day when Sam gathers up enough alpha male energy to message me again. I keep a strained conversation with him for about half an hour while he talks about Call of Duty, stuff he got for Christmas. There are many times where I don't know how to respond, but he happily fills in the spaces and keeps on keeping on. Eventually he asks, what's wrong? Nothing much really. You're just not saying much. Yeah, I'm not in the mood to talk right now. Oh, what did I do? Sam, that's a pretty long list. I know. Sorry. I just haven't really had a girlfriend that I could talk to very much before, so I'm still figuring that stuff out. I'm not your girlfriend, Sam. I I know. I mean, a friend that's a girl. Okay, there was a space between girl and friend, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Before I can further clarify the status of our relationship, he's off in another direction. So do you speak French? Yes. That's cool. Me too. Okay, that came out of nowhere like a clown in a bad funhouse. I'm a bit skeptical, so I push it gently with him. The following messages were in French, and I've translated. You speak French? Yes. I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me? I don't know. Okay, what are you doing now? I'm hungry. The shocker of a lifetime. I'm being eaten. What? You're being eaten? Yes, I'm being eaten for lunch. I give up here because it's pretty clear he's using some translating software or an online dictionary. R.I.P. My mother tongue. A little explanation about the French language. In English, when you want to use a verb, you need a helping verb to go with it. I am playing or he is eating. In French, you don't eat. I eat, I am eating, I do eat are all the same phrase. You have the subject, then the verb. The helping verb is implied in the action. Some English speakers, however, will try to translate literally from English to French. In this case, Sam translated, I am eating directly, and the result is, I am being eaten. At the 
very least, we can rest assured that this will be the most effective weight loss plan ever. Later that day, he follows with, Lol, I don't really speak French. I was just messing with you. I don't give a reply. None of this, however, is a crown jewel. Emboldened by what could only be a vat of homemade ravioli, thanks mom, Sam takes aim. Hey, a bunch of friends and I are going to go see The Hobbit this Saturday after break. Do you want to tag along? John has beat him to the punch, actually, but I'm not keen to give him that detail. No, thanks, Sam. Oh, why not? I don't give a reply. Soon enough, though, he follows up with, I bet you're going with John, huh? Am I really going to be that transparent? There's no point in lying to him. Yes, I am. Okay, I get it, but I don't think I'll ever be able to convince you that he's bad news, but I promise someday you'll see what I mean. This isn't exactly a tough bet. Either we break up or never become an official couple anytime in the future and you win. Otherwise, we get married and live happily ever after because that's a realistic option. Another cheesy, meaty gorge of academic papers ensues on Facebook, followed by a book-burning level of purge. This gem is the only survivor. This Facebook post from Sam says, I finally decipher the age-old confusion. Why do girls only go for jerks and leave guys who cherish them in the dust? Well, ladies, mostly, and gentlemen, the justification is in our upbringing. You see, when girls are little, a boy percusses them or calls them malicious names. Parents inform girls that he just likes you, honey. In turn, when girls grow up and look for a mate, the only thing they associate with affection is maliciousness. It's a representative model of Pavlov's dogs. Thus, when a man comes along who has class and dignity and treats women the way they should be treated, they have not been conditioned to interpret this as endearment and ignore his advances. In short, nice guys finish last, not because we are inferior, but because society as a whole endeavors in the opposite tendency. If you make it out of that alphabet soup with all of your brain cells, I commend you. At the time, I really didn't understand why he and people like him all have the same pattern of thesaurusing every fifth word in their online posts. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have an inkling. Most neckbeards fancy themselves as being on a higher intellectual plane than everyone else. Yes, most of them are slightly above average intelligence, but nowhere near the genius skill, and almost all are chronic underachievers. Despite this, they've built an image in their heads of being the brainiest guy in their zip code. So they talk the way they believe an actual smart person would talk. In spirit of Facebook, I'll end with a made-up quote, a smart Smart man can play dumb, but a dumb man in no way can play smart. When Lady Saber explains the long history that Sam has of making up girlfriends and explaining these huge backstories and then saying that they broke up when people tried to investigate too far, I think that's something that a lot of people have seen. I mean, kids in general tend to lie a lot for some reason, especially when the thing that they're lying about is something that would make them seem really cool or interesting. It's kind of like the whole my dad works in Nintendo type of lie that kids tell to each other, but there are definitely a lot of kids that make up this whole lie about, yeah, my girlfriend, she's really, really pretty, but she uh, goes to another school when clearly this person doesn't exist at all. I'm not sure why that's such a common thing to occur, but if you've ever seen something like that, let me know. And once again, this whole story kind of highlights the strange underlying entitlement that Sam has that she ought to be his girlfriend 
for some reason, not because he can tell that she likes him, not because of any other reason other than that he wants her to be. And he's trying to do that by being mean in a lot of the previous stories. And in this one, trying to kind of outlogic her into saying, John is a bad guy. I'm a good guy. Come date me. Why aren't you dating me? And then post these cryptic messages that are obviously about her just to get his frustration out. Like she wouldn't know that they're directly referring to her. Anyway, let me know what you would do in this situation down below. And also, if you'd like to see another story in this saga, lesson learned. I am never bringing my Nintendo Switch to work ever again. So this happened to me today. I work in fast food to give you a clearer picture. I went on my break and I was playing Pokemon Shield. I'm saving Legends Arceus for when I get home and I have more time. So I'm playing my game when I see a young boy about seven years old watching me. I look up and see his mother watching us. She nods. So I assume she's giving me permission to talk to him. I ask if he's played before and he says no. So I let him play on it. I tell him I started playing when I was his age and gave him pointers when he asks. So the alarm goes off on my phone for the end of my break and I ask for it back, which he does and thanks me for letting him play. I'm walking towards the staff room when I hear the call of the wild Karen behind me. Karen says, Ahem. I look back and I see the boy's mother behind me. Me. Yes? Can I help you? Karen. Yes. You can let my son keep playing your game. You're going to be working now so he can play it until we leave. We're paying customers after all. Me. Uh, sorry, miss, but this is my property, so I'm going to put it in my bag now. Karen. No! Give my son your game now! Boy. Mom, stop it. I don't want her game. It's hers. She had raised her voice, so now my manager had come over because I was late from coming off my break. Manager, is there a problem here? Karen, yes, she won't give my son her game to play with. She's going to be working now, so she should let him keep playing until we're done. She had this smug look on her face like she thinks her logic is sound, and my manager is just going to agree with her. Manager, ma'am, that is her property, and if she says no, then that's her right. Karen, I'm a paying customer. My son should be able to play. Manager, ma'am. If she said no, that's the end of it. Now you can either sit down and finish your food or you can leave. Karen stomped off to her table and grabbed her things before storming out with her son following behind her. I feel really bad for him because he was really sweet as well. My manager asked if I needed five minutes, but I told him I was fine. I put my switch in my bag and went back to work. Was I the jerk? Does the mom in this situation not see the worker as an actual person? I mean, why would the mom assume that the OP here would have no concern at all about theft or running off on it or breaking it or anything, just even the wear and tear of the thing itself. I mean, how do they plan on giving it back to the OP? They're going to try and take this Nintendo Switch and put it on the counter where all this greasy food is being passed back and forth over and over again. I mean, it seems like she didn't really think this through. She just said, I want my kid to have this, so give it to him. Instead of just saying, oh, I want my kid to have this. What is it called? I'll buy one one for my kid. It's a weird type of solution making where you put the burden on other people, just random bystanders, like in this case, the OP. So let me know what you would do if you're in this situation. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel with notifications turned on. Follow Am I the Jerk on Instagram. Check out the podcast if you're into podcasts. And if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share here on the channel, there's actually a link down below in the description as well, where you can submit your own full-fledged story if you one day want it to be shared here. But either way, thanks a lot for watching, guys, and we'll see 
you next time. Sir Sam tries to charity or how a neckbeard got in the back door. Player one is me, Lady Saber. Pretty social personality, but uncomfortable in large groups of people that I don't know. I'm wearing a dark blue full-length dress, matching earrings, and nude heels. My hair is let down and curled gently over one shoulder to cover the cut side of my face. Player two is John, my finally official boyfriend. He's looking sharp, wearing a white shirt under a matching light blue vest and tie, pressed pants, and polished shoes. He's a much smoother dancer than I am. He has a bit of a temper and will inflate when provoked. It's pretty funny. Player three is Sir Samuel Smoothcheeks, the chaste and chivalrous knight, creepier than a millipede's legs. He has a high-pitched voice and needs lotion to slip through doorways. I would describe his appearance, but I'm saving that morsel for later. This story takes place mostly at our school's winter dance. It's not quite prom, but it's still a black tie affair. It's hosted on February the 14th and raises money for a charity. This year, it's supporting a local woman's shelter and support network in the city. There are a bunch of silly traditions everyone follows. The guy asks the girl to be their date, and there's a race between someone in a chicken suit and the school's mascots afterwards. All this stuff is designed to drum up interest and to get more people to buy tickets. The week before the 14th, Sam pays me a visit at Go Club. The whole scene reminds me of the beginning to Lose Yourself by Eminem. If you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted to capture, just let it slip. He makes a big show of himself, making his proposal in front of everyone at the Go Club. He's wearing his usual beard gear, TM, with extra crust. He scratches his head before extending the same hand for me to shake. Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees are weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, his mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface, he looks calm and ready. Okay, I don't think those weird stains are puke, but he still smells bad enough. The axe makes a cover, but it's as good as this cover. Referring to that old video of Psycho Girl tries to sing I Will Always Love You. He shifts his weight a few times and goes through a series of nervous tics before smoothing out his jimmies and asking, Lady Saber, do you want to go with me to like the winter dance thing, my bomb? To drop bombs, but he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. I, uh, you know, I just think it would be a lot of fun, and I mean, like, all my friends are gonna go, so it'll be a big group, and I think a lot of fun. There's a pause, then, Got you something. He produces a small bouquet of white chrysanthemums and roses from his backpack, crinkled and slightly wilted. I don't know why, but this memory always reminds me of macaroni art. I think it's worth mentioning that in Belgium, those are flowers you bring to a funeral. I'm flushing bright red. It's dead quiet and everyone is looking at me, including Mr. Teacher, who is trying to hold back a cringe giggle. Sam, I'm going to go with John. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbit he choked he's so mad but he won't give up that easy nope there's more shock on his face than a victim of the electric chair how could i reject him he did all the things right he had a compelling speech an irresistible gift he even proved his alphaness by totally ignoring the traditional rules of the dance he quickly falls back to well i just meant as a friend of course (laughs) much in the same way one might fall from a roof i tell him again that i'm going with john well has he asked you yet well no (laughs) haha It looks like you're pretty much single as a Pringle. No, Sam. John is still my boyfriend, and I can't have two dates. He turns and slouches away, tossing the flowers into the trash can with as much reluctance as throwing out a can of raviolis. He glances over his shoulder to make sure I'm still watching the symbolic gesture. Then the rest of the club starts buzzing as Sam storms out. I don't actually ask John until a few days before, just to make him sweat a little. The dance is held off campus at a large indoor venue. Nice high ceilings, great acoustics, hardwood floors. One wall is almost all windows, so from the outside, you can see everyone having a good time. And from the 
inside, you can see who's arriving. John and I buy our tickets at the door. You can pay $20, $30, or $50 for a ticket, so John drops $60 for both of us. It's a fun time. There's tons of snacks, and everyone has showed up. Sam, however, is blessedly absent. I get to enjoy a fun night unimpeded by beardism. (laughs) Haha, right. About half an hour in, a limousine pulls up outside the building. It's cleverly disguised as Sam's minivan. Sam and six other members of the invasion force pile out one side, kicking and bumping into each other through the sliding door. It's a mixed munchies bag. Half are skinny, half are fat, but all but one is wearing a hat. I grab John and we move to a place where we can see the lobby to watch the Mummers troop enter through the front doors. A banana cop who prevents them from going inside without tickets is nearly eaten. Apparently, they have no idea that this is a charity event because there is a significant scuffle at the ticket table. John and I are transfixed, nomming a handful of grapes while the plaid armored hedge knights argue about the tickets before angrily leaving. They pace on the sidewalk outside, peering in the window like well-fed Les Miserables orphans before walking off in the other direction. I think I've dodged a firing squad until the next line dance. I'm grabbing a drink when Sir Sam cha-chas real smooth up behind me, laying a warm, sweaty palm on my exposed shoulder. Hey, Lady Saber. Happy Valentine's Day. Seven save us. He's wearing brown loafers, khakis, plaid flannel shirt tucked in under a dark suit jacket, a crooked striped tie, and a pinstripe navy blue trilby top it all off. I forgot the cane. Yes, a dark straight cane in his other hand, leaning away from his hip. Nymeria's 10,000... What? I have to pull myself out of the euphoria to respond. You too. I thought I just saw your group leave just now. Hey, yeah, we went to the school first because we thought we were supposed to go there. Then they wanted to charge us some retarded amount of money to get in there. You know it's for charity, right? He's surprised by that but tries to hide it. <laughs> yeah, we knew, but still, $20 is way too much. I'm about to ask how he managed to get in when I notice a semicircle of his compatriots forming around him. I'm by myself pinned between them and the snack table and a little worried about the stampede. From here, I'll just refer to Sam's friends by the color trilby they're wearing. Blue lifts his hat by the brim in greeting, revealing a sweaty crust of blonde hair underneath. So you're Lady Saber we've all heard so much about. Uh, yeah, I guess, I laugh nervously. Each gentle sir introduces himself with a nice tip. White, blue, black, navy, gray, and hatless. They're all dressed in a similar ridiculous array as Sir Sam, though none can top his cane. Gray and navy are skinny, and the only ones who looks like he googled men's formal wear is hatless. The circle presses in a little tighter as an unintelligible flood of compliments surge at me like a shaken up bottle of dew. Wow, your dress looks so good. You look in that dress. Your hair is really blonde. Hey, it's cool how much you like games. You're so cute. You don't need that makeup. Black tries to touch my hair. I'm quickly saved as John and company force an opening in the circle and pull me out as a spokesperson from the beneficiary takes the stage to give a speech. Everyone shuts up and turns to listen except for the world's greatest femme man-ist. Sam sidles up right to my side. John already occupies my left and has an armor on my waist. The speaker starts her spiel and Sam has a witty remark for every other line. We've managed to raise almost $1,000. <laughs> yeah, because you heckin' overcharge everyone. <laughs> for an optional charity event. I've been working this organization for years. Probably just because your boss likes your boobs. She runs the whole thing. And I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am for this generosity. Because we're like paying your salary. They're all volunteers. After each hilarious one-liner, Sam turns to me, making sure I'm able to bask in the warm, moist glow of his comedic taste. I make no reply, pretending to be intent on the speaker, but that doesn't 
doesn't stop Sir Sam. Milady clearly just didn't hear her champion's japes. He also fidgets and itches himself while edging closer, making it painfully clear that he wants to touch me somehow. This continues for the entirety of the 5-10 to minute talk. John is getting wound up, silently squeezing my waist like a cheese whiz packet. Sam blithely continues with his humor until the people around us start to shush him. Like any classy alpha male gentleman, he makes a mocking face but eventually stops talking. Eventually though, he chances one last remark to win Milady's hand. Sam leans in close and drops his voice low. It's pretty funny all of us snuck in through a door around the back. Are you serious? He grins smugly. Milady should clearly be impressed by his cunning. Yeah, it wasn't even locked. People are such idiots. You cheated a charity out of more than a hundred dollars. He doesn't see a problem with this at all. In fact, it's almost an accomplishment. Yeah, so we showed up. We gave our support. They already have tons of money. By now, a roar of applause goes up and people start to make their exit. John and I make our escape like the last two egg noodles after the end speech and lose ourselves in the crowd. It isn't until after the chicken race that Sam is able to locate us again. Hey, Lady Saber. I'm sorry I lost you guys. Can you give me a ride home? John and I have separated as I'm waiting for him to bring his truck back from the parking lot, so I'm pretty much single as a Pringle. I don't have a ride. My mom just dropped us off. Can you take me home? What about your friends? Oh, well, I guess they need a ride too. How many people can you fit? I don't know, Sam. It's not my car. There's a few awkward minutes of standing around before John returns. The rest of the Beatus Brigade start to trickle in. John finally pulls up next to the sidewalk and Sam makes like a rabbit kin to hop on in. He's clambered halfway through the passenger door when John tries to stop him. Sam, what the hell are you doing? I need a ride, John. Dude, I don't have space for you and your herd. Well, how are we supposed to get home then? What would this evening be without a good vintage wine? Sam, that ain't really my problem. He backs out and stands on the road, giving his hat a tip, holding the already open door for me as I climb in the cab. I don't want to think about what he's looking at as he's standing behind me. Hey, John, you think we can ride on the back? You mean the truck bed? Yeah, there's plenty of room. I'm more worried about towing capacity than room. Sam, I don't even know where you guys live. I can't spend all night driving around. John and I exchange a look of, why do we need to have this conversation? It's okay. We all live close by. White just lives over in Bums Hartsville. That's like an hour away. Seriously, just call your mommy and get her to pick you guys up. Lady Saber and I have to go. Please, John, can you just drop us all off of my house then? My mom can't pick us up. We're going to be stuck here and it's like cold. John and Sam don't actually live that far apart, but more on that later. It might have been easy just to drive away, but John relents and they climb into the back of the truck bed. Sam still makes a bid to share the front seat with Milady, but the door is mysteriously locked. From the huffing and puffing, you'd think they just scaled the wall barehanded. Gray, who physically can't manage it, has to be hoisted up. After the whole crew is in, Sam slaps the back window twice, leaving behind a greasy palm print. Hatless was nowhere to be seen, but everyone forgot about that at the time. The ride home is comical. Hold on to your trilbies, folks. Part of this ride is on the freeway, and at 60 miles an hour, even the crustiest hair flaps in the breeze like soggy potato chips. Sam hoots and hollers while a few members of his team look like they're about to be sick. Less than a mile from his house, Sam loses his hat. He looks like he's about to cry, but he puts on a brave face. The original plan was to drop me off first, but I really don't want these guys knowing where I live, so the gentle sirs are dropped off before me at Sam's house and sure enough his minivan is parked happily in the driveway. 
Thanks, Mom. Once again, there are so many cues that Sam somehow just doesn't seem to pick up on, like the fact that Lady Saber actually does care that this is for charity, but yet he's trying to impress her with the complete opposite direction by saying how he got him for free and trying to change her mind and say, oh, that's actually a better thing. It's actually more interesting that I got him for free when he's not picking up on what she's trying to say. On top of that, they should have just said no. I mean, if they're going to drive on the freeway with five people in the back of a truck bed, if for some reason they got in trouble or pulled over in some states that's a pretty big ticket and in the worst case scenario if there's an accident all of them would fly out of the back of that truck bed immediately onto the pavement so not to say that doesn't happen all the time people ride in the back of trucks all the time but they should have just said no I don't know why they felt like they had to take them after all of this at least from this story we do know that Sam has friends it's not like he's totally isolated and alone he has a whole little squad his own posse and he's clearly telling them something about Lady Saber because they all are basically saying, oh, we've heard so much about you. Maybe implying that Sam has made it sound like they're more than what they actually are. So he's not as isolated as you might think if you only heard one part of this story. If you've ever met someone like Sir Samuel, let me know down below. Or if you'd like to submit your own full-length story, you can do so via the link down below in the description. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with notifications turned on. Follow on Instagram and check out the podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys next time.